What is Adam? Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had the incredible opportunity to hang out with Autumn Rowe over Zoom video just three days after she won a Grammy for Album of the Year. Album of the Year. So incredible. Autumn was born and raised in South Bronx in New York, had a very rough upbringing. She talks a lot about that. She went to high school in Times Square, was a part of this very famous choir in New York. She has an amazing story about meeting Jay-Z when she was just, I think, 16 years old. She ended up signing a development deal with Swiss Beats. We hear about that. We hear about the song Happiness, which changed her life, like literally changed her life. The song was used in the FIFA Women's World Cup, the theme song when it was in Germany, which led to a slew of other things. She was a voice coach for the X Factor in the U.S., also a voice coach on America's Got Talent. We hear about the amazing nonprofit she started during COVID called Songwriter Fund, and all about working with John Batiste, writing the record We Are With John, and winning the Grammy for Album of the Year. You can watch our interview with Autumn on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be amazing if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, we would love it if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with the Grammy award-winning Autumn Rowe. We talked about your whole, your journey in this music industry. Perfect. Cool. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm Adam. I don't know if I told you my name, but I'm Adam. Um, so I saw you were born and raised in New York in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Yes. Talk to me about uh, being born and raised in New York. Um, well, Wow. Um, <laughs> it's a lot. I know it's generic, but hey, what was no, it like no. growing up there? <laughs> okay. No, no, it was, uh, well, I grew up in the projects. Um, I grew up very poor and um, I had a really, really difficult childhood. My father was addicted to drugs. Um, my mom raised me by herself without any family support. Um, wow. I had like, like my childhood was so difficult when we saw Will Smith in pursuit of happiness, we were like, Oh, that was nice. Because oh, wow. <laughs> our life was so much worse. Um, so yeah, my life was pretty difficult, but um, I was very optimistic and it's so strange. Like at like six years old, I believed I would write something that would, pull me out of whatever situation I was in. Um, wow. I didn't know, I, I didn't know I would write songs. I didn't know that was a thing, I, I, but I know I was a writer. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very convinced on my writing at six, but mind you, I just learned like, you know, how to write. I was going to say yeah. <laughs> six years old. I have a son that's five or he's turning six actually in about two weeks or less than two weeks. And I'm thinking like him being a writer, like it, he can, yeah, he's still tracing letters. I mean, he is writing and learning to spell and everything, but to have that kind of epiphany at that early of an age, that's incredible. It, it was very bizarre. Um, I look back and I'm like, where did I get that from? Also, like I, I was um, implementing 
what we now know as like the secret. You remember the secret? That, oh that yeah. Book? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, w- I was doing that um, around nine, 10 years old, mm-hmm. just naturally. Uh, when, when that book actually came out, I, I thought it was so strange. Cause I was, I was just under the impression that everyone knew how to do that. And I was like, why would they put this in a book? But you know, um, yeah, I don't know. I was a strange child. Like I found a lot of, um, I found a, a lot of light in a lot of dark, mm-hmm. um, around, real, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say real quick. I, so I had, I interviewed somebody that was a musician, but also, uh, a numerologist. I don't know if you're hip to numerology. I want to be. Okay. So it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, the whole thing is, is just so bizarre. It's all number based, obviously. And you take your first middle and last name, put them together and then your birthday and it, it creates all these numbers. Right. So I felt as a kid growing up as well, that I kind of had like the secret in me, not that it like, I thought I was going to be a songwriter or anything like that. I just like, like I'll, I would see things. And then I became like, when I did the thing, anyway, my wife and I both were an 11, which is some sort of, you have some like intuition and like the, uh, and kind of like the predicting things before they happen. It's really bizarre. And I'd be very curious to see if you did it and you were an 11 also. And I don't fully grasp any of it, but it just hearing you say that kind of just sparked my memory on like, huh? It's just such an interesting concept. <laughs> and I kind of was getting that yeah. from your, your like secret vibe. And I wonder if the person that wrote that was also uh, that number. But I, again, I, it's not something I subscribe to, but it was just a very interesting conversation and concept. Super interesting. I, I would love to know how to do those calculations. I've never um, done that before. Google it. It'll, it's, there's a beautiful website that's free. It'll just do it for you. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> and then it'll read you like the, your... <laughs> It's weird. I mean, to the point where I was like, this is strange. Like, I thought it was like literally like AIing my social media or something and just spouting stuff out that it would assume of me. I don't know. It was just weird. So you should try it. It's, just, it's bizarre. But that just kind of reminded me of that whole thing with kind of having that intuition of like, yeah, I think I'm, I know I'm going to write something. Yeah. I mean, I feel like sometimes when you are, when you have absolutely nothing, um, you, you start seeking things like from a deeper place Mm -hmm. and you really look like you are like, (laughs) I mean, things are rough. Um, I can laugh now about it because it was so insane, but like, it's almost like you've got to operate a bit on a spiritual level, you know, Mm -hmm. because there has to be some sort of way out of this or some sort of faith. uh, And just, you have to. So um, I feel like I looked, I looked in a lot of that and that's kind of where I saw I don't know this, I had this, these like visions of, of things happening. It's just so strange though, because like we didn't have social media. This mm-hmm. was in the eighties, you know, like, right, yeah. um, I didn't watch TV much. Like I didn't have friends like of my age. Like I didn't, I don't know where I got any of this from. It's very bizarre. Mm-hmm. But you were, but always, I mean, even at that young of an age, being able to write and comprehend that is very, I mean, above anything i'm just going off of my son's experience like i couldn't see him writing like they're just learning that skill right now and to have like know that that's something that you are good at at that age and and that you can kind of see it doing something for you in in your life yeah no i mean you know i feel like kids kids know a lot more than we give them credit for too Mm -hmm. um 
I like writing with young people. Like I write with people, you know, as young as 12 or 13. Wow. And people are always surprised, like, well, what do they have? What do they talk about? I'm like, they have so much to say. Um, and to be honest, sometimes they have more to say than a lot of adults. <laughs> yeah. you, might, you might get in a room with some adults and they're just like, I don't have anything to talk about. But then you get with some of these kids and, you know, they have so much to talk about, like between the bullying and, you know, friends and what it's like growing up right now. And, you know, just so many stories to pull from. So um, I feel like if we can tap into that, we we learn a lot about what kids are going through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's even, yeah, I mean, I grew up in the 80s as well, 80s and 90s. And what we dealt with is so much different than what's happening now, especially with how quickly something could take off within like a school or just one text, one screenshot, like it could ruin a kid's, you know, whole life. It's insane. I do not want to be young again. Like, mm -mm. No <laughs> way. I, yeah, I would yeah. never trade that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, so you, you were writing, obviously, at a very early age. When did music kind of become a part of your life? Um, I think it was always a part of my life. Um, my mom said when I started to, like, talk, I was already singing in key. Wow. And she was, that's when she knew I would, I had some kind of musical, you know, abilities. Um, because she was like, she's, she's like ad-libbing in key, but doesn't speak words yet. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it was always a part of my life. I started singing in school choirs in like first grade. Um, just music was everything to me. I would take, uh, theme songs from shows that didn't have lyrics and I would put lyrics to them. Oh, wow. Yeah. And like uh, melody or sing along to whatever the melody of the, the instrumental yeah. part was. Wow. Sing along to the melody and put my own words. Um, I was into like. Stevie Wonder, Carol King, because mm -hmm. we were really poor. So like I, I only knew the music my mom listened to. So I would just know those songs. You know, I didn't know who's new, who's who's older. Like I didn't know any of that stuff. So mm -hmm. I didn't know what anyone looked like either. So I just listened to a lot of like older music. And then I learned a lot of music from from the window. You know, you open up your window and there's always DJs playing in the park. Mm -hmm. So I would hear like, oh, that's where I got a lot of hip hop from and um, became super influenced by R&B and hip hop just from literally the streets. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and you DJ as well. Didn't you teach yourself how to do like turntable DJ? I, I didn't teach myself though. I actually went to a school for a year and a half. Um, oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a lot of work. Uh, I was oh, like, I, I know it's yeah. it a lot. not that I'm good at it, but I, I thought I could do it. I got turntables when I was younger and I'm like, oh, this seems cool. And I'm like, wow, this is just way, way more difficult than I could even imagine. It's a skill. It's an instrument. Um, no, I went to a, a school that does turntables because I wanted to like properly learn a beat match by ear and um, learn from the greats. And the school was started by um, Grandmaster Jay. And uh, it, wow. yeah, before he died. Uh, sadly and um they just kept on with his legacy sorry jam master yeah and um yeah it's great uh, i had incredible teachers who have been playing for um decades and uh you know i only learned five years ago 
but um, I just felt like I really wanted to expand my skill set. And mm-hmm. what was great about that school, there were eight courses in it, and um, some of them were production. So it got me to learn Ableton and mm-hmm. start playing with loops and, you know, gave me more confidence as a producer. So it was great. I, like, I, I think all songwriters should have some sort of skills in, in this area. It just opens, mm-hmm. it also opens your brain to like, um, what's mu- listening to music that you don't normally listen to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wasn't really listening to that much current like trap music and stuff like that before DJing. But then once I started DJing, I was, I had to know, you have to know so much music. I mean, it's crazy. So uh, I just had to like learn and learn and learn. And then it, it just expanded my mind a lot when it came to my writing. I'm like, Oh, well, this is, this would never work in a club or this would work or, you know, mm-hmm. Oh, th- this is missing this kind of energy. Cause I, I could never play this song. You know, like I just started looking at things very differently, which, which was, great but also sometimes frustrating because sometimes uh the other people in the room can't hear what you're hearing oh sure and you're like this isn't gonna work or this is gonna work and they're like no it's not you're like trust me yeah (laughs) so there there would be moments where it's like oh wow this is cool but then it would be cool because i could like put things in serato you know loop the beat section put the song vocal in there and like say okay well this is the feeling i'm going for and then they could hear it uh-huh. And I could do it so quickly, just in like two seconds. So then, they, then they're like, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. You know, it, it's a great tool. It's really a great tool. And yeah. also like to compare BPMs, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and you see like certain BPMs, there's hardly any songs and, you know, and you're like, well, the, the thing about that song is people will have a hard time playing it because there's nothing to play it before or after, you know, just so many different ways to look at music. Yeah. There's such a science to that piece of it. Just knowing like, oh, if it's not this BPM, it's probably not going to work in this setting or it's not going to work like exactly what you just said as far as like, it'll be hard for somebody to beat match it or play something before or go into it. Um, I came from radio, did it for a long time and say, we would not look at BPM, but look at like uh, sonically how something would sound going into the next song. It wasn't just like an auto select. It was like you had to have a, you know, somebody scheduling it. So it made sense in that you know, capacity. It wasn't just like you wouldn't play a certain song into another song, just like if you were a DJ. Uh, but also looking at the BPM is just like a whole nother like level of, <laughs> of songwriting and structuring a song. Yeah, I look at BPMs a lot. Um, and also when DJing, it's cool, like keys, you know. I, oh, sure. No, no better feeling when you can mix oh, on the same key into another song and it just feels so fluid. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, uh, that ooh, magical like right. it gives you chills you're like whoa yeah. that was that was cool that was freaking great yeah yeah i love that so you mainly grew up what in the in the chorus choir and before you started songwriting or singing or do you, yeah. were you also like piano player or anything like that no so um i was in the basically the new york city housing authority which is the, the projects mm-hmm. there they started a choir uh while my first year in high school, I went to high school in Times Square. And wow. yeah, that, that must've been a trip. Sick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Um, and it was about, there were about 20 kids in the choir and it's crazy. Like the other two of the other choir members, one was Claude Kelly. I don't know if you know Claude Kelly, but he's a massive writer. He wrote like circus for Britney. Oh, wow. Okay. Since you've been gone. Um, he's a huge, huge, huge writer and he's an amazing artist as well. Um, 
him and then another really successful writer, Little Eddie, he came out of that choir. So we were all in choirs together as kids. And wow. (laughs) Wait, it gets weirder. We were also, (laughs) three of us were also coaches on the X Factor. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It's it's crazy. So you all just, did you stay friends like through the choir and then growing up or did you kind of like go your own path and then come back together on an X Factor and be like, oh, wow. Like we went to the same school Um, or what? We kind of, well, I lost touch with Claude for a while, for like 10 years. And once I started really dipping my foot in the writing scene, he already wrote, you know, these huge Britney Kelly Clarkson songs here. He was already one of the biggest writers in the world. And I remember being in the studio one day and someone sent me, I think he had a MySpace with these songs on them. (laughs) And I was, I was asking like, why does Claude have Britney Spears songs on his MySpace? And they were like, cause he wrote them. Claude wrote those big songs. Wow. I just was like, Oh my goodness. I had no idea. Um, and that was kind of like such an eye-opening and exciting thing to see what he accomplished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once I got more into the scene, I ran into him like during a Grammy week uh, party and um, we reconnected through that. And then I, I got asked to coach the X Factor um, season two and they wanted one more coach and I brought in little Eddie. Mm-hmm from the choir so, and, and Claude coached the year before us. So it just, that's, that's crazy, but it makes sense as well because our choir was incredible. Okay. And we learned, we had like so many, we learned so many skills from that experience. So we, between that and the songwriting and being, you know, singers, blah, blah, blah. Um, we had like a lot of, a lot under our belt to offer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And from, from that choir, like once you graduate high school, what, what do you do next? Like, how does the, how do you continue to pursue music? Oh, by any means. Um, after that choir, I connect, I made some, a lot of friends in the choir and four of us started a girl group. And then that became three and then it became two and then it became one. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so we did not survive as a group. We tried for a few years and then I became the lead singer in a band and we worked with Swiss beats for a few years. Wow. And yeah. And we performed all over like the tri-state area, mm-hmm. lots of crappy clubs, um, bars, you know, nice clubs. And we did our own songs and we did some, some clubs would only hire us for covers. Um, but that's kind of where I really learned a lot of really like develop my writing because, mm-hmm. you know, I wrote with my band. So, you know, I was like, oh, let's, I would sing a bass line, like, oh, um, play something like this and like, or, or direct the guitar or, you know, the keys. And that's, we'd write all our songs that way. And um, it was so much fun. And then we get to perform them out and see how, the, how people react to them. Mm-hmm. So I did this for years and I look back on that time. It was such a special time. We made no money. But we were so happy, you know, so happy. And I think those moments when they feel so hard and, but just enjoy them. Like you can't ever get them back and I'll, you know, I'll never be able to be in that place again, but it was really, really special. So I did that for like five or six years. 
just and writing with the band basically that was your full-time gig i mean you you had a deal with swiss beats so this is yeah the, we the were, goal was to yeah to blow this band up yeah to perform and you know we just so you know we we didn't we didn't get a break nothing really big happened for us the coolest thing that happened i guess was i did a song with bone thugs and harmony at the time oh wow which is cool it's called candy paint with bone thugs and swiss that's and, awesome um that was so cool. Like, wow. You know, I thought what's crazy when I, when I didn't even write that song, Swiss wrote it. He's such a genius. And, um, I remember when it came out, I was convinced that's the biggest thing I ever do in my life. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm singing with bone thugs. But right. I mean, you know, at like- the time it's still like, <laughs> even nowadays, like if yeah, somebody had the opportunity to, to do something with them, that's in massive. Yeah. I was like, this is it for me. You know, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm peeking. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in here. Um, it was so cool. So I did that. And I, I really was getting into writing at this point, like really loving and enjoying the writing process. And Swiss played one of my songs for Estelle. And she started to work on that song. And then there was another artist. I was working with a producer named Gary Haas. And he played another song for, I believe this Billy Mann who gave it to an artist named Eva Simmons and she mm-hmm. recorded it. It's called Rockstar. So around this time, like two artists are now like playing around with the idea of recording my songs and, you know, playing them out and stuff. And I'm, I'm like, okay, wait, so this is a thing. Like people could like record a song I wrote and mm-hmm. maybe like put it out wow, that is a great idea. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you're in the underground band scene, it's just, it's like a different planet. Right. And it's just, there's like, I don't even, you don't even think about those kind of things. You're just, I don't know. It was like, I was in another world. So you could, yeah, you could write a song and hope an artist that wants to do the grind will do it. And you know, it could, it could do something, right? And you're just like, okay, here's a song. I'm, I'm excellent. I love writing these songs and I'm going to give them to you to, to birth, so to speak, like bring, yeah. bring to light. Yeah, exactly. So I started going to like all these random music submission e- events. You had to pay like $25 and then the music supervisor will hear your song and say that if they like it or not, if they might put it in something. And I, I got no. Like I never got anything placed. Um, it was pretty discouraging for a very yeah, long how do you, time. How do you keep going and, and finding the courage to be like, okay, here's another 25 bucks. Is this going to work out again? You, you just, just kind of knew. You just got to believe you got to believe in your music. And, you know, I always believe like, I don't, I don't necessarily think things are a no. I, I'm like, I think I just asked the wrong person, you know? I like so that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's a glass half full type attitude right there for sure. But it's true. Like, honestly, most of the time you're not asking the person high enough, high, high up enough. Mm-hmm. And I, I noticed that. And I, and every time, it, every time it, that happens, it, I just keep getting reminded even now, like constantly, constantly, like I want to do something and I, I'm told no, but then I asked the, the very top tier person, and then it's a yes, hmm. you know, so it's more like, well, how do I get to these people? Because right. that's kind of the goal of it all. Just like cut out the middle and just go straight. Yeah, to, go straight to the, the person writes, that, yeah. Who writes the, the check? 
Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, so you're able to what kind of figure those people out? Like, okay, I know I pitched no. to this. Okay. I figured nothing out. Um, it okay. was depressing. <laughs> nothing was happening for me. So I <laughs> I had so many jobs. I was working at Costco selling karaoke machines. I sold shoes. I sold handbags. I was in a wedding band. I had a thousand and one jobs. Um, at my last job, I started reading A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And mm. I, this book changed my life. It just changed the way I think about everything. And um, A New Earth? Is that what you said it's called? A New Earth, yeah. It's, I'm it's, writing this down right now. I highly recommend it. And I've other creatives have read this book um, on my recommendation. And it's changed their lives as well. Mm-hmm. like severely in, in the best way. So um, I said, I need to write something that I can quit my job. Cause at this time I was working like 80, 90 hours a week. I was working a full-time job at a shoe store. I was in a wedding band and I was in my own band. And after work, mind you, I was assistant manager. So I'd work like either nine to six 30 or 12 to eight 30. <sighs> after that, I would go to the studio about four or five times a week and record a demo. And, and like, when I go to the studio, I write and record everything same day, you know, like mm-hmm. within four or five hours. Wow. Songs. That's yeah. fast. That's really fast. Songs done. So I did this every, every week for a year and it was super duper unhealthy, super stressful. Um, I don't, rec- I don't recommend anyone work to that extent. It's actually not, you know, sustainable. Uh, but I was in this, you know, this New York do or die mentality of, of, I gotta, I gotta do it now. I was mm-hmm. 20, 28, 27, 28. And I'm like, I gotta do it now. This is, this is it for me. And after a year of this grueling schedule, I said, I'm going to write something. So I quit my job. So I got a hotel room near the studio, which was a two hour commute. Wow. And I wrote something that allowed me to quit my job. And I think it's really important to just say things and write them down, your intentions and put them out there and manifest them. So I ended up writing a song called Happiness, which which became the song of the FIFA World Cup, basically. Um, Yeah, that's so incredible. Yeah. Like the biggest thing on, like literally on earth, right? I mean, mean, football and soccer is so big outside of the United States. And it's the biggest sport in the world. Goodness. It's starting to catch on here, but it is literally, yeah, the biggest yeah. sport in the world. And, um, you know, it took, it, that opened up a lot of doors. So now I started traveling for the first time in my life internationally. I've never been to Europe and started writing with different artists in the UK. And I realized I, I really resonate a lot with the UK. Okay. I resonate with um, so much about the musicianship and the freedom you have created creatively in the UK versus the U S. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's basically, uh, I want to back up for a half a second here. And if you don't mind talking a little bit about happiness, just cause I'm curious, like when the song you write the song and this obviously changed, changes your life. You like, what was it like? Like you turn the song in, it gets cut. And then what is it like when you get these phone calls? Like, Hey, we're going to use like the songs are getting cut. I'm sure that was a big one. And then it's not only that it's going to be used in the world cup and like, 
what is like your, you know, what are yeah. the feelings and emotions you have going through this kind of crazy roller coaster? Well, the song was a new, a, a song, first single on a very new artist. So, and it was a new artist on a new label. Okay. So it was the first of the first of the first. So I'm a new right. writer on a new artist, new artist on a new label. You Which know. you probably won't, nine out of 10 times won't become this gigantic hit right. that it does, right? Right. So I didn't know what to expect. You know, it was, everything was new, but Jay-Z was behind it. So oh. it was a JV with Jay-Z and Stargate called Star Rock. Okay. So there was some great, great, powerful people who really believed in the song. And Jay-Z personally took the song to radio. Wow. So, yeah. And that's a crazy story. I just want to circle back to high school. So when I was in high school, I met Jay-Z in the street. Did you really? <laughs> so I went to school next across the street from where all the jewelers were um, uh-huh. in the Diamond District. And basically like all the, you know, successful rappers and everyone would go buy their jewels from this guy named Jacob. Jacob the jeweler. It's in like tons of hip hop records. And one day coming out of school, I see Jay-Z just standing outside jacobs and i said oh my god it's jay-z i gotta go i gotta talk to him because he does music and i want to do music (laughs) (laughs) i was so insane so i got my backpack on i'm so nerdy and i'm like mr (laughs) jay-z like i'm like wow you do music i want to get into music can you help me like do you know anyone that i could meet or you know, I'm in, I'm in my school choir. I got an internship. I'm working really hard. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? He was so freaking nice. This man stood outside the street and talked to me for like 10 minutes. Wow. He then gave me a real phone number of a real person at the record company to call. And you know how I know that was a real number. This is so crazy. So I never called it because I realized I don't actually have anything to bring to the table at 16. I was like, I don't have any demos. I don't have any songs. So I never called him. Uh-huh. But when I watched the Kanye documentary, a couple, whenever that was last month, month before. Yeah, the one that came out on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah, okay. The person's number he gave me was in the documentary. Was it really? Yes. So I just realized Jay-Z gave me a real number to a real person this guy's name was hip hop and I should have saved that piece of paper. I know I was going <laughs> to say, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, at 16, Jay-Z's like, okay, I got this number for you. It's a guy, uh, it's a person named hip hop. You're probably like, okay. Like, I mean, I, I, maybe you weren't, but to me, I'd be like, oh yeah, he's just being nice. Like, well, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. <laughs> I was like, his name is hip hop. Okay. Like, sure. You know, right. like, yeah. And you could, I couldn't, I don't know. Like the internet wasn't really like happening right, you couldn't like now. Fact check what he was saying or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Nor would you be like, Jay Z gave me this bogus number. <laughs> well, probably. What's <laughs> wow. How cool to like be validated that really like, wow, that really was. It really number. was. So, so late years later, you know, 12 years later, the same man, Jay Z, believed in my first song. Um, Do you have a chance to tell him that you no, ran to him at 12? I have okay. it. And <laughs> I, I did talk to Beyonce though once, but, um, wow. And thanked them for, I, I said, you know, your husband's believing in this record actually changed my life. 
But um, I, I, I haven't had a chance to talk to Jay-Z and I, and I would love to tell him about, you know, to thank him for not being rude to a high school kid. Right. Yeah. I would wow. Love that to just says him. so much about him. I mean, that's, and the fact that he legitimately gave you a number of somebody that was there and could have, would have answered, you know, that's just crazy. And, and it also goes to show, go straight to the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, back to your original point. <laughs> I, you know, like I, 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 I had it and I messed up because then I kept going back to not the top. But <laughs> yeah, go straight to the know. top. <laughs> you know, who, who do you need? Jay Z. Yeah, you know, like just go, go to the, go to the head boss in charge. Um, so yeah, that was that was really funny to watch that Kanye documentary. I, I was losing my mind when I saw him in that. I said, Oh my god, <laughs> this all this time. Jay-Z was the truth. <laughs> That's so crazy. That's so cool, though. Oh, wow. So that, I mean, obviously opens up a bunch of doors. You get to UK. You said that that was just those those times where you kind of fell into your own. Like, these are this is what you just related, right, to the people there and songwriting there? Yeah. Um, working in the UK is just magical, at, at, especially at that time, like, you know, radio is very different there. So radio plays everything. Radio plays drum and bass. It plays pop. Mm-hmm. It plays hip hop. It plays spoken word. Like, you know, there there aren't these genre restrictions as we have here. You, mm-hmm. It's just so open. You can hear all kinds of music. So when you know that all kinds of formats are going to be played, you, your creativity is not limited. Mm-hmm. So... I was able to work with so many different types of artists and um, just explore, you know, which was really exciting. But then I'd come back to the U.S. and I feel like very limited, very mm-hmm. limited, like working in L.A., which feel like they only want pop. Right. You know? And and that that for me felt boring mm-hmm. to stick to one thing. I love pop, but I also want to, you know, do other stuff. So when you came back to the States and worked in LA, would you just write pop and then kind of get your fix for everything else when you went back yeah. to the UK? Okay. I, I'd write pop and then I'd play in my sessions music I learned from the UK. I'd play artists that I was excited about, like dubstep artists and, you know, artists using like jazz chords with, mm-hmm. with dubstep beats and just mixing of genres and stuff. And people's mind would be blown. They'd be like, whoa, I've never right. heard anything like this. And I'm like, trust me, there's some incredible stuff happening. You know, it's just not going to be on the radio here, but that doesn't mean it's, we shouldn't work on it. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. No, totally. Totally. Wow. Well, uh, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but like, obviously you did uh, the X factor here in the U S as a uh, coach and you're on America's got talent also. And you did the TV thing where you always just, were you writing as well as kind of working on these, these shows? Oh, yes. I was I never stopped writing. Um, I was writing less because the shows are incredibly demanding. Mm-hmm. So I maybe write half a year as opposed to okay. a full year. Um, but yeah, I never stopped writing. And then one of our winners, Grace Vanderwall, we ended up uh, creating a, her EP together. So um, I was able to combine the writing and coaching. Was coaching was coaching something that you had done prior to the show or was that kind of a new, you know, territory for you? 
coaching on that level was a hundred percent new. I mean, when you're in the studio with an artist, you coach them a bit, you know, you're like, hmm. sing it this way and you, you okay. demo the vocals and you're, you know, you, you kind of do a lot of coaching um, just naturally. That's part of the job. Mm-hmm. But my first day on the X factor, I was put in a room in Miami in 95 degree heat with 120 <laughs> singers, 120 singers and a full camera crew. That was my first day. Oh, wow. And that would have been so overwhelming. I'm sure. Are you kidding me? And I'm, and I was told, okay, coach, <laughs> there, there was no, no, like nothing, no, 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 no plan, nothing. So so little Eddie was there that day. So he took half, I took half and we went into separate rooms. So he had 60 about around there at 60 mm-hmm. and they gave us each a musician. So one, I had a guitar player, I think, and he had a keyboard that's it and then we had six you know we had to create some content (laughs) for a tv show with people we never met doing a job we've never done um and and you know like putting you in a room with six like there's there's being a vocal coach and then there's that like that's something else yeah you can't really spend a whole (laughs) lot of time with each person what do you just say what can you sing sing me something and then the guitar player will try to fumble around and figure out whatever song they're going to kind of show you. And then you can, what quickly help them. Like how would, what did you, like, how did you even handle well, that? Believe it or not, that choir I told you about oh. when I was 16, I used a lot of those exercises. Oh, that's brilliant. So I pulled from a lot of that and I, I just used uh, my musician as a musician. So I'm like, you know, let's just do the scale. Let's do the scale. And I remembered everything I ever learned in choir. So um, we had incredible exercises, uh, mm-hmm. different tongue twisters, different scales, all kinds of stuff. So I did that with the group. And then we, um, and then we had individual singing and then, you know, just ask them like, what's the song about? What does it mean to you? Why do you want to be on the X factor? What would winning mean to you? And then just because of the, the the just because of what the, the nature of the show it, you would usually get an emotional response mm-hmm. you know and uh it, and then that and then you just carry on from there so i figured it out <laughs> but I, but i wouldn't do it again okay <laughs> <laughs> and when you kind of wrapped up that world is just back to to continuing what you did before i mean as far as just writing yeah. for people and songwriting yeah i did it for six years i did a X Factor and then AGT for five. And mm-hmm. um, on my last year of AGT, I knew that this was going to be my last year. Um, you know, you just feel it coming to a, an end and like you're not growing anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started DJ school. And okay. I was planning my next move. Um, okay. So I left and yeah, started DJing and um, getting into production and stuff and really just opening my mind. Cause at that time, like I, I felt like I was a bit, I was missing something with music. I was, I didn't, I didn't have that spark in me. Mm-hmm. I felt a bit um, depleted, you know, just drained and it's, you know, just overworked. So I needed to find life again and find inspiration again and find something to spark me again. And DJing did that. Like I started loving music again, loving hip hop, loving all kinds of genres, just loving music, loving listening to it. 
And then that ended up transferring into love and creating it. Wow. In a different way than, mm-hmm. I, than I ever had. And then I became more creative and more confident um, than ever. And I actually started writing a lot acapella after that. Really? Yes. I write a lot acapella, a lot. And, and just I, sing the piece and the lyrics and send it send it out to people and just say, hey, this is like from like that acapella piece. Is that what you present to an artist or somebody in a songwriting co-writing yeah. session? I'll record it on my phone or or if I have time, I'll, I'll record it in Logic, you know, mm-hmm. with a click with a click track and everything. And um, I have a I have a production partner, Kizzo. So mm-hmm. we yeah, just bring it to the studio. I'm like, bro, I got an idea. And he's used to it now. Like he's like, okay. And it, <laughs> some of my ideas are like crazy. Like I was one song. I switched four keys. In six Whoa. Songs. Yeah. It's Whoa. crazy. In the, just in the verse. In the verse alone, four different keys. Yeah. What is that? Exactly. A different key per line almost? <laughs> like, pretty much. Oh, pretty much. Wow. But, but you don't really notice it in the melody. So I just, I just feel, I love the freedom of just being creative and just, just like kind of like receiving whatever comes to you and just letting it out, mm-hmm. you know, uh, without overthinking it. Just like, oh, this feels so good. Um, so yeah, I write very differently than I did, you know, 10 years ago. I write very, very free now. And, and, it, and a lot of it works mm-hmm. um, as opposed to in the past when I was, you know, more doing, I feel like more of the chasing energy. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the songs didn't work and now a lot, a lot of it happens, you know, like comes out. Sure. And then mm-hmm. you score a Grammy and album of the year. And like, I, I'm, I want to talk to you about that and like working you. So you work with John Pazist and in like, is that a relationship that started pre pandemic? Cause I know you started this amazing organization that I want to get to real quick as well. But when do you start working with him on, on we are, which obviously you, you won a Grammy for on Sunday. Um, so we started working together in 2019. Okay. Uh, well, so pre-pandemic. Is that when the record? Did you yeah. were like five? Five, uh, five or, Yeah, with him on the record. Well, actually, maybe it started 2018. So the first song was a song called Sing on the album. That was that I wrote that song. That was another acapella vibe. So I had that. It was a session with these guys called King Garbage. And um. I just, I had an Uber ride on the way there and the Uber said, the Uber driver said, when I'm, when I'm really sad, I just like to, I have to sing and it makes me feel better. And I was like, wow. So I got to the studio and. Wow. What a really- deep conversation <laughs> from a, a, a Uber driver to just drop on you. I know. I, I, can have, <laughs> I can have some very, man, that's, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the deep conversations I've had with strangers, but um. Yeah. So I, that just like really hit me when he said that. And I got to the studio, by the way, this is a last minute session. I got called like at six o'clock to come there at nine. It was so random. I never heard of these guys, didn't know them. I get there. I'm not in the greatest mood. I'm kind of tired. Frustrated with a lot of things. And I wasn't feeling any tracks, nothing. And I said, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sing something in the room and then just like, follow me if you can. Mind you, I had, I have never done that in a session, never in my life, never, like not in a pop session with my band. I would have done that years ago, but in a pop session, no. Mm -hmm. And I just 
literally started singing the, the song, sing. It just came out. It was like a spirit, like an outer body experience though. Like it just came out. And I was even like, like it's coming out your mouth and you're like, I don't know what's happening. It's like the scene of like Beetlejuice, like, you know, um, when they're just all at the table. So um, <laughs> afterwards, like, I was like, well, that was weird. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe the song sucks, whatever. It was, a, to me, it was so weird. And so they, you know, they put some chords to it and I forgot about it. Months later, months, months, months later, I get a demo back with a guy singing the song with full on production, like this whole New Orleans, incredible. I mean, I never heard anything like it in my life, never. And I said, who is this? I, I said, this is the best song I've ever been a part of. I don't know who this is, but it's the best song I've ever been a part of. And wow. whoever, whoever's singing this song is my musical muse and I need to know him. I need to find him. Who is this? And they were like, it's John Baptiste. I said, like, who's that? <laughs> I didn't know him. Right. I didn't know him. So I said, I just had his name. And I'm like, okay, I got to find this guy. It took me months to track him down. Months and months and months. Then I, I start messaging him on social media. He doesn't, read, he doesn't see my messages. Finally, I fly to New York for 36 hours to surprise my mom for Mother's Day. The second I land, he sees my DM. It's, I'm not making this up. This is crazy. Second I land, I get a DM. Hey, it's John. I just saw your message. It's crazy because the last time I checked them, it was Madonna. And now it's you. Wow. I was like, wow. Okay. Um, I'm just here for a quick minute, but I got to meet you, man. Like a hundred percent. I got to know you. So the next day I booked my mom's uh, lunch right next to Colbert. So I said, mom, I got to just meet somebody really quick. I took her with her friends so that, you know, they had company. Mm -hmm. so I just got to meet someone across the street. I'll be right back. So I ran to meet John. And the day I meet him, my, I don't know him. The day I meet him, he's dressed in the full Prince costume. <laughs> they're doing a prince tribute he's got makeup a wig he's already tall and thin he got heels on oh man this whole prince outfit and this is my first impression <laughs> so i'm like wow like he's wow you know he's Bold. He, wow <laughs> wow i said wow like yeah man i'm with it you know honestly like with that what i heard on that demo which is, which is exactly what, what it sounds like on We Are. Mm -hmm. What I heard, that man could have wore an egg costume and I would have been in it. I was like, dope, I'm in. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't care about any of it. I'm just so excited about their talent. So we, we played each other music that we liked. He played the music he'd worked on. It was, everything was just incredible. We had so many similar influences and Basically, uh, we just then we started texting like about okay, who we're gonna work with, start like getting ideas of sessions and stuff. All that went out the window. A couple months later, I get a call from a, a black number on a Sunday Sunday evening. Hey, I'm in town. Let's get to work. I'm like, who is this? It's John, John Baptiste. I was like, bro, it's like Sunday night. <laughs> I was like. You know, I can't get any of these producers you wanted by Monday. This takes me months to book these guys. Like, these are all huge producers. So, luckily, I was sitting right next to my now production partner, Kizzo, and we were already writing together loads. And I played Kizzo sing 
And I'm like, man, I got this artist in town. He's so incredible. Um, do you do this kind of music? And he was like, well, let's try it. John comes over. We spend maybe two, two three days together. Second day, we wrote Freedom. Whoa. And that second. was also Record of the Year nominated for. That was the second song we ever wrote together. Was Freedom. <laughs> Yeah. Um, we were supposed to go to a barbecue that day. It was 4th of July, I think. We were supposed to go to barbecue and um, yeah, we didn't. We said, you know what? Let's not go. Okay. And we didn't go. And uh, So really 4th of July, what, 2019? I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. back in it. Okay. Yeah. Um, we didn't go and glad we didn't go because... <laughs> Look what happened. So we then, um, Kizzo and I were like, you know, we this guy is really good. We don't know if he has a record deal. We don't know if he has a manager. We don't know any of this stuff. We just mm -hmm. really like making music with him. So we're like, let's just go to New York and make songs with him. I'm like, yeah, let's just do it. So we book our own hotels, flights, everything. Go to New York for like a bunch of days. And we just make a studio in his dressing room at Colbert and we make, we start writing the bed of, we are, we write, we are, we write, I need you. Um, show me the way. So he was working on the show. I guess I don't know his backstory when it comes to the Colbert thing. Yeah. He's the house band. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense then. Yeah. He's the house band and, uh, you know, it's a job. Mm -hmm. So in between takes where, we're just coming up with song ideas. So that's basically like how, you know, John, John has, the thing is John has wanted to make this album way before he met us, but it kind of like sparked it all when we met, you know what okay. I mean? Like, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He, he, it was, it, everything was already in him. It just needed like, I don't know. It was already there. Cause it, the way that this all flowed so quickly, um, we really wrote most of the album in, in like technically a week. Wow. Yeah. That is so incredible. Yeah. Mind you, the production and all that after yeah, took, took a, a really long time. Like yeah. Choirs and all the instrumentation and this took a really long time. Mm -hmm. But the actual just songwriting of it didn't. Wow. Mm. And then so the pen and then after the the, the bulk of that's done, right? The pandemic hits and then it's okay. Now everyone's kind of sitting on their hands, waiting to see what's going to go on. And you decide to start this amazing fund. That's going to help people and songwriters that are in these positions, like don't have, you know, the, the income that isn't, it's not coming in anymore. Right. It's not coming in anymore. COVID was, devastating for songwriters you know it, because like we only make money from radio mm -hmm. and from syncs really right you know there's no money in streaming for us so and no one's making movies making television shows to get your songs syncs no. in and the radio i mean how many people weren't like actively driving around not a lot i mean it was just a whole crazy world it's crazy. Like you, people don't realize as soon as TV production stopped, that meant, you know, we weren't getting 
the big commercials. We weren't getting the, the Netflix syncs. We weren't getting all these syncs that we need to, to make a living. We're gone. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, very early on in the pandemic, I saw my friends were already struggling, like my friends that were musicians, you know, that were gigging. So I started just raising money for my friends and on a very small level and giving it to them. And at the same time, Sona, Songwriters in North America, received money from John Platt at Sony um, mm-hmm. to help songwriters. So he gave, I think it was like $125,000 or something like that to Sona and I, and, and they needed someone to help run that organization. So I'm like, well, I'm kind of doing that on a very small scale. Mm-hmm. So why don't I just join you guys and um, do it bigger, bigger, mm-hmm. you know? And that's basically what we did. And um, we started raising more and more money and just giving it to songwriters. And we gave out over $500,000 in grants. So to cool. Songwriters through COVID. Yeah. And that now, is so huge. Thank you. And uh, the fund is is still here, um, but we're working on t- transitioning it to uh, mental health. Wow. Yeah. So we want to give mental health uh, grants and help to songwriters next. That is amazing. That is so amazing. I love the logo that they came up with. Too, or I don't know if you had a part in that with the it's like two earbuds that make I a made heart. That. Did you really? I made the logo. Thank that you. That is such a rad logo. That's my first logo I ever made. Thank you. Really? I thought I had to be done by like a, you know, full on graphic designer. But wow, you have a career in that as well. Not only songwriting and, you know, (laughs) know, nonprofits. I went on on one of those websites where you can like use some templates and move things around. But that's so creative. Thank you. I love it. Yeah, I think that's so awesome. And uh, I mean, everything you're doing is amazing and so much, you know, congratulations times a million on the Grammy and just being a whole part of that. I'm sure that just had to be, again, another overwhelming out-of-body experience to just. It's still really, really overwhelming. And really, when we made the album, we said it in the dressing room. We said, we're going to get a Grammy for this. Wow. But saying it and it happening. It's Very the secret it comes back yeah. to when you were six years old. I'm telling you, you're probably a number 11 on the numerology chart. <laughs> I, I gotta find out. I wanna know. Uh, uh, but it actually happening, there's nothing to prepare you for that. Even if you believe as much as you can believe, um, you still can't prepare for it. And it's a historic win. John is the first black artist to win album of the year in 14 years. Wow, I didn't know that. That is massive. And I'm the first... I'm the eighth woman to win album of the year as a producer. Wow. The eighth woman in history. That is, and what is the 60, 60, 64th year of it? I mean, and 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 out of that eighth, I'm the fourth as for a non-artist of the album. Wow. Yeah. That's so huge. Congratulations again. Times like a million for everything you're doing. And uh, when you get that, like I said, when you get the actual Grammy and whenever it shows up, like I would be walking around with that thing. <laughs> I'm going I'm to sleep with it. I would, or lock it in like some super thick glass case of knowing that nothing would ever happen to it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what a validating uh, moment for you. I'm sure. Just it is. Everything. You know, I, I didn't think we were going to win towards the end because 
you know, I, it was, a, it was, man, it was a long day. It was a really hard day Sunday. Mm-hmm. I, I've lost like five pounds Grammy weekend. Oh, <laughs> just stress. Yes. No, <laughs> oh man. I'm not I'm not joking. I actually have, I looked in the mirror and I was like, Whoa, you, you look different than when you left Thursday. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I weighed myself and I'm like, Oh my God, because there just was no time to eat. You're walking uh-huh. through these casinos. It's hot. Oh yeah. You know, it's just like, it was nonstop. So Sunday was a grueling day, beautiful day, but really long red carpet was two hours in the sun in Vegas, hot sun. Oh man. And just constantly smiling and pictures and no, my, I can't even imagine. I was sweating. (laughs) Like I was sweating under my gown. I felt my gown like wet. Oh, wow. And I'm like, I think I'm like, not well. (laughs) (laughs) So by the time now, by the time the R category came up, it's now been like 12 hours since I was been getting ready for this day. Right. That's the last one they do. I bet. Right. Of course. Last the word of the night. And I was like, you know, we we ain't got it. We, you know, we didn't get it. It's okay. I'm happy we're nominated. And then um, when he said, we, Lenny Kravitz, we are, I was like, what, (laughs) what, what's happening? Like, no, I started crying. Oh yeah. I posted my reaction today on Instagram because my husband recorded me crying. Um, he recorded the whole thing and I made a little like montage about it. But oh, okay. I saw the video post pop up and I didn't click on it yet, but I'm going to right here in a second. It's a tearjerker. Okay, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited have been crying. But, you know, I just didn't expect it. And um, at that point, it was just such a long day. And like, we, you know, but wow, it's it means so much because album of the year is, you know, it's a body of work. Mm-hmm. And it's it, that's what it was like for songwriters. We're not encouraged to make albums. We're encouraged to make singles, encouraged yeah. to make things that stream well. Mm-hmm. But I have been preaching and preaching. I feel like to myself, really only because I don't know if anyone listens, but about no, let's make albums. Let's make bodies of work. If we make it, people people will listen. But if we're, if we're not even giving them the option, you know, we gotta we gotta still stay true to the art. And I'm just so happy it worked. Thank you, God. <laughs> I people are like, "How do you feel?" I said, "Not crazy," because I feel like I've been looking crazy for the past couple of years talking about all this stuff. And I'm like, "Gosh, for it to actually happen, I finally don't feel crazy anymore." Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, have five, I mean, helping pretty much write the whole record, five songs on the album and then it wins album of the year. And the second song you guys write is also up for record of the year. And that just speaks to, to the album and the, you know, talent behind it. It's so incredible. He's the greatest. He really is. I gotta say, like, I prayed for an artist with a message for a long time. I really did. I worked with a lot of artists, a lot of artists. And I just always wanted someone to just really say some stuff that I think the world needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And I, and I couldn't find that artist. And then I met John. Mm-hmm. So I'm just really grateful. Amazing. Amazing. Again, so many congratulations and thank you so much, especially 
you know, three days after you win album of the year, you're chatting with me. Like I can't be more, you know, blessed. I appreciate you doing this and thank you so much autumn for for taking time today and talking thank with you me. for having me um thank you so much and i'm really glad that you're doing something that's you know covers songwriters so thank you of course i have one more quick question before i let you go um i want to know if you have any advice for aspiring songwriters definitely so much advice for, for aspiring songwriters um for one i'd say like right from right from your truth right from reality right from something that you know about uh figure out kind of like don't forget why you're making music and what you what's your goal you know like i think it's good to have a goal like is your goal to to make pop music is your goal to what what is success to you you know my 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 idea of success was, is to make music i love every day you know but some people i know some really successful people that's not their goal their goal is to have big hits and some of those people are really unhappy with some of the biggest hits in the world. And they tell me, they're like, I don't like these songs, but I like success. So I found that very interesting. I'm like, wow. See, they're like, I don't even like hip hop, but I make these beats and people buy them. But I, I don't care. But I like to be rich. And I'm like, interesting. That, personally, that's not for me. You know, um, I'll, I'll probably never be as rich as that person, but I want to be fulfilled. And I want to do something I really, really love. So I think it's just important to kind of like know what you want and don't burn yourself out either. Like I burned myself out for quite a few years. And I did. the thing is when you're burnt out, you don't know you're burnt out because it's, it feels normal. Mm-hmm. You know, it just feels like super normal to be exhausted and not inspired because you've just accepted that's what you're supposed to feel like. But take a step back, take time off. The hardest thing for me was to learn to enjoy life and um, tell myself I deserve to have a life as well. You know, to tell myself I deserve to enjoy life. I deserve to not just work every day. I deserve to be a human being, you know, that doesn't just make music. Um, Because we get so on this path of like, we got to just keep working, 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 working. Um, or, or things are not going to happen for us. But honestly, the less I wrote, the more success I had. Because the less I wrote, the more I had to say when I did write. So um, kind of everything we're told, get rid of it. <laughs> and, and just create, create, try to create the best music you can make with people you like to make music with. <laughs>